Well, good morning to you. Well, this morning we are continuing in our series out of 1 Peter, uh, Triumphing in Troubled Times. And um, if you were with us last week, uh, you heard Pastor speak on uh, suffering leads to triumph there, uh, the last part of chapter 3. This morning I will begin uh, chapter 4, and we're going to walk through um, some results of suffering, I call it. That's the title. And um, uh, he dealt with the triumph of Christ's suffering on a cross. And uh, us being in Christ, uh, we're rescued, aren't we? <laughs> the best way to put it is uh, he, he just did a great job of uh, suffering leads to triumph there on his message. And so uh, I am doing a message, result of suffering. So let's read the passage. Uh, it's, uh, I did this in the first service. I started to read it and realized I didn't give a reference. So First uh, Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're going to work on that this morning, and we're going to uh, point out a few things that um, will encourage your soul. So if you're there, let's read it. I'm reading from the NASB. If you're reading from an NIV or an ESV, it'll be a little bit different, but the meanings will be the same. Some of the words are, are changed maybe to be a little bit more common. But let's listen in as we uh, read along with me as we read this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they were judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The result of suffering. Um, an athlete will work out, lift weights, do whatever he has to do to become a better athlete. So he'll suffer in all by himself, typically, in a gym lifting weights. That's not done on TV, right? You don't see the football players working out on weights very often on television. You do see them on Sunday morning, though, after they've done that, and they're pushing each other out of the way and letting a running back run through there, right? So there's a little bit of a, of a result of their suffering. Typically, 
Um, in that scenario, they're doing it for themselves a lot of times. Correct? They're doing, I want to be the best at this or I want to be the best at that. The results that we're looking at here in this passage, though, are a little different. They are what I like to call the results are what I call triumphs. Uh, like I said, Pastor talked about that last week when he did the suffering leads to triumph. And that was a suffering that Christ suffered, and it led to triumph because he conquered death. And he brought you into the body of Christ through that process of his suffering. So there was a real triumph that took place. This is a little different in that it's the triumphs that you now have by being in him. So the therefore that's in this passage, really he's, I believe when he says therefore, I think he's pointing back to verse 18 of chapter 3. And if we looked at that, you would see uh, why I got there. For Christ also died for sins once for all. He suffered on a cross. He died for sins one time. He did it all. It's all taken care of. All sins have been taken care of. All sins have been taken care of. That's a better response. The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. When you are placed in Christ, sin in your life can be put to death. Matter of fact, if we look back at verse 1, I'm going to give you seven triumphs in the first six verses that I see. Now, you may see more, and that's good. When you get your chance to preach, you can point the other ones out. I dealt with seven that I saw, and I want to just point them out to you, and we're going to do it really quickly, I hope. And so do you hope. Hope upon hope that I can do it quickly. All right, so here we go. So therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. What was his purpose of suffering in the flesh? He ended sin. Right? We read that in 18. Okay? So his purpose was he suffered in the flesh so that he could conquer death, which was the final bastion of sin. The final thing that held over the top of you and I was death. Sin brought death. Sin still brings death. That's why we have believers in Christ today, their bodies are dying. That was sin that causes that. But what did he say in 18? But you are alive in the Spirit. Okay? You guys realize in Ephesians 2 that he said that you were dead in your trespasses. When you received Christ, you were dead before that. You didn't have spiritual life. You couldn't get to the Father. You were dead to him. But through Christ's ministry, through his dying on a cross, by placing faith in him, now you can be alive. Okay, so, but the first thing that I saw, one of the first triumphs that I saw that you didn't have before you were in Christ, was you now have a purpose. Do you see that? You arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Die in the flesh to what? Christ died to sin once for all. You being placed in him, you can die to sin. Okay? You are to be dying to sin. So you're able to, what's it say? Cease from sinning. So a second triumph there that I see in the passages, 
Christ put away sin once for all, back to 1 Peter 3.18. That's what he's pointing back to when he said, therefore. So that's the second one that I saw. The third one we see is we arm ourselves with the same purpose. And we put away sin. Stop sinning. Now, listen. It says here that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You ever suffer in your flesh? Of course you have. Of course you have. Have you ceased from sinning completely? Any of you living a sinless life right now? Well, right now you are. You're in church. You can't do doing too much sinning unless you're looking at your phone at buying something on Amazon instead of listening. That would probably be a sin at this point. All right, so just pay attention a little bit here. And so, but anyway, I'd say that you have a capability that you did not have at one time. You at one time were enslaved to sin. You could not get out of sin. You couldn't stop sinning. There was no way. You were chained to it. You couldn't get to the Father, could you? No, you can't because you were dead. How does a dead person move around to get to anybody? Can't. But you became alive in the Spirit. So you became alive to Him by placing faith in Christ. So we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose. Die to sin. Christ died to it once for all. You're to be dying to it daily. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Present yourselves to him every day. Every day. It's a one-time thing that you may do, but you've got to do it every day. You've got to transform your mind by stop conforming to the world. Transform your mind through the reading of the word of God. Okay? So, there's a, so that's the thing. Arm ourselves with the same purpose that Christ had. What did he come for? to do away with sin. So you, what you need to do, and what's said here in the passage is, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, you've stopped sinning as a way of life. Okay, we're going to show you what your life looked like before you placed faith in Christ. Before you became a Christian, you were a Gentile or a pagan. We're going to look at that in a minute. But these first three, purpose in Christ, you arm yourself with that same purpose, and you're able to arm yourself. with. You couldn't arm yourself before you met him. You couldn't stop sinning. Sorry. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus Christ and you're not a Christian here this morning, you've never placed faith in him, you say, well, I live a good life. No, you don't. No, you don't. You live a good life maybe compared to what standard? Compared to your neighbor who's out drinking around and cheating on his wife? Maybe you're not doing that. Well, you're living better than him, but you're not living according to God's standard. God has a different standard than you have for yourself. All right? So not to make you feel any more guilty than you probably already are, but that is the fact. You've got to have God's standard if you want to become in Christ. So stop sinning. So next, I have a couple more in the next verse. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So the fourth thing I saw as a triumph is you no longer have to live according to the lust of men. You no longer have to live that way. People, that's a triumph. You don't believe it. That's a triumph. And then you now get to live according to the will of God. That's another triumph. It's a miracle. It's a triumph. You say, well, I'm not triumphing in it right now. Why aren't you? Oh, yeah, I got really quiet in the first service, too. <laughs> Let me show you how you used to live. 
Because don't let, I'm not even going to show you. I'm going to let first Peter, I'm going to let Peter show you how you used to live. And if not every one of these categories hits you, some of them will. All right? In verses 3 and 4, Peter expands the list of how as former Gentiles or pagans, as we would say, I think your NIV calls them pagans. This is how they live. And, and this is what he says to be careful of. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the pagan or the Gentiles. And I think what he's saying there is this is what you were doing before you became a believer, before you placed faith in Christ. The time has already passed. You did plenty of sinning already. That's what he's really saying. Like this is what you used to do, and you did plenty of it. Now, I was only five years old, so I would beg to differ with him when I got saved. But let me tell you, I'd done plenty of sinning. And I was uh, of a, a wicked-minded little boy even at five. Trust me. You think I'm wicked now? Boy, you should have seen me then. <laughs> Having pursued, this is what you were doing. This is what you were doing before. This is when you were a pagan. Listen. Having pursued a course of sensuality, a course of lust, a course of drunkenness, a course of carousing, a course of drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Don't raise your hand. But some of you were in these categories before you met Jesus Christ. Some of you were in all of these categories before you met Christ. That's why I didn't have you raise your hand. So this, this is what you looked like before. You no longer have to live that way. Matter of fact, you're commanded not to live this way anymore. All right? But now you have the opportunity to live for the will of God instead. Now, I was thinking about, you know, we've been preaching First Peter for about, I don't know, what, seven or eight weeks now, Matt, I think it is, or somewhere in that neighborhood. And so... Um, I was kind of did a contrast. Well, if sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries represents what the pagan man looked like, what's the Christian supposed to look like? How does it look in contrast? So I took a little liberty to go back and pick up some of the passages that we've already looked at. And I came up with this. In, in 1 Peter 1.14, he says we're to be in obedience and control our passions. That kind of sounds like the opposite of having a, a, a course of sensuality and a course of lust. That seems like we were uncontrolled in that. We had no power to stop ourselves from doing those things. Now, in obedience to God, we can control those passions. And in verse 2.11, he says, you are to abstain, excuse me, for chapter 2, verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. This is what Christians do. We abstain from fleshly lusts because they war against your soul. Hey, purity, chapter 1, verse 22. We're to purify ourselves. We're supposed to have purity in our lives. Christians have a purified look at things. They've been washed. They've been regenerated. They've got a different look on things. Um, verse 122, he says we're supposed to love one another from the heart. From our hearts. We make a decision to love one another. Not, I'm going to love you if you do what I want you to. 
No, no, I've made a decision in my mind that I'm going to love you. And then one of the other results is a good conscience. Pastors talked about that last week in 321. So you have five so far, purpose of Christ. Christ uh, put away sin once for all. We're to put away sin and stop sinning in our lives. That's the first three. Number four, we no longer live according to man's lust. Number five, we now live according to God's will. Number six is found in verse five. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They is referring to those who are in three and four, the pagans, those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And what is their, what's their thing that they're going to do? They're going to be judged, the living and the dead. So even if they've died and they didn't place faith in Christ, they're still going to be judged. If they're alive when Christ comes back and returns, they're going to be judged anyway. So either way, they're going to be judged. Guess what? One of the triumphs that I have today, one of the triumphs that you have if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, is you're not going to be judged. You're not going to face this judgment. Thank you. Where's Willie when I need him? He's not here today. You know he just said Watchmen 35 times already. I'm trying to figure out who's awake out there. So number six, as a believer in Christ, I don't face this judgment. Amen. You guys are making me get all animated on you. Verse six, I come up with my seventh one. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Now, we're talking about believers again. You notice that little word, for. That changed things. We flipped. We went somewhere else. For the gospel, for this purpose, has been preached even to those who are dead. What's he saying? Are we preaching the gospel to dead? Are we going out to the cemetery and preaching to dead people? No, that's not what he's saying. Believe it or not, I, I, in my commentaries, several people have that view which is crazy. I can't find anything in Scripture for that. They use this verse, though. That's not what's being said. What he's saying is that even those who have passed away, you remember in 1 Thessalonians, during this Bible time, there were people that were, had become Christians, believed in Christ, they were in the church, and they were having a struggle with, what happens if I believe in Christ and I die? Or what about our loved ones who have believed in Christ, but now they've died? What happened to them? They, so in 1 Thessalonians, he approached that and, and said that, that uh, they were going to be caught up. They, they, they went to be with Christ. But they died, but they still were believers in Christ, so they're still going to be in heaven someday. They're not facing the judgment that the pagans are facing. Okay? So here's a seventh triumph. Even if you die in the fleshly part of you. Because you know what? Um... I'm a lot younger than some of you, and I'm a lot older than most of you. All right? And so I have heard, and I have become a proponent of believing it, and I complain about it all the time. This old body of mine is not quite the same. And if you're ahead of me, you would say amen to that. If you're behind me, you will say amen eventually. <laughs> so what happens, though, is if I live long, if God tarries long enough, those of you who are younger in the building, you're going to bury me probably. That's just the way it works. Those of you who are older than me, you might still bury me. But guess what? 
though I die in the flesh, though I die in the flesh, I will be alive in the Spirit. That's a triumph, people. That's triumphing over death. That's, that's what Christ did. He triumphed over death. It was the last bastion of sin. The last hold it had on us was the fear of death. I do not fear dying. I do not fear it. I ain't afraid to die. I know where I'm going. Amen? My grandpa used to say, I got my ticket. I got my ticket. I know where I'm going. But then he would also say this, but if you're getting a bus load together today, I don't necessarily want to get on. So I, you know, I got a little bit of mixed message there from my grandfather. But it's true. It's true. Uh, if, if the Lord will tarry, I'd love to see my grandkids be raised. I'd love to see them get married. I'd love to, have, I'd love to see their grandkids' grandkids. That ain't going to happen. You know that. But that's just how we are, right? We're down here in the flesh. We love to stay alive. But guess what? Even if you die in your flesh, you're still alive in the Spirit. And if you die in the flesh here, where do you go? Immediately I'm in his presence. That's triumph. That's triumph. All right. So now, let's segue. We're going to go into another little section here. And now I'm going to do the results of suffering brings about you serving, you believers serving God and bringing him glory. All right? So suffering, Christ suffering on a cross resulted in you having salvation, which now your suffering results in you are going to serve him. The ultimate suffering was by Christ on a cross. By placing faith in him, now you want to serve. You got saved to serve. You didn't know it when you got saved that you were going to get saved to get to serve, but that's what the scriptures teach us. In Ephesians 2, he talks about it. You went from objects of wrath, which is what you were before you got saved, to works of art with a ministry that God has for you. All right. So now then, let's take a look at the, the different serving areas to the glory of the God. The glory of God, not the God. Uh, the end of all things is near. That's how he starts out verse 7. The end of all things is near. You know, I, I, I've said it before, if you look up all, it, it means everything, all of it, all of it. There's no, there's no middle ground in the word all, it just is all. So, the end of all things is near. Now, this was written about 2,000 years ago. And it's something that the, the apostles and Paul and Peter and John, they talked about it. He's coming. He's coming back. The end is near. Now, you think about it. Well, man, that's 2,000 years ago. Well, that just means the end's closer than it was. Isn't that right? And then he says somewhere in Scripture, I don't know where it's at right now. Sorry, guys. I'm not the Google brain for that. He says something about a day with the Lord is like a thousand years on earth. Do you guys remember that passage? That means he's only been gone two days. In his time. So, here's what he says to do, though. It, because, he says, so because the end is near, therefore. So he's pointing right back to the end is near. 
You've got all these triumphs in your life, and the end is close at hand. Now what? Therefore, do these things. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. You've got to have your mind in the right place. Quit asking the Lord to, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I'll get people mad at me. But start asking him things that you know are in his will. You know what's in his will? That your neighbor be saved. He said that his will for all men to be saved. Amen? Amen. I'm not making it up. I'm just doing what he says to do later on in this passage. So be of sound judgment. Sound judgment, another way of saying that is be clear-minded. As you approach prayer, be clear-minded. You're to be clear-minded for the purpose of prayer. You're to be sober in your spirit for the purpose of prayer. So, clear-minded is sound judgment. Sober spirit, I look these up, self-controlled is what it means. Be in self-control. So that you can pray effectively. That's the purpose. You have to line up how you... Let me ask you something. When's the last time you prayed that when you got up, you realized... You know what? I prayed for some other people besides myself today. When was the last time you did that? Or was it all about just you? Was it all about just you and maybe just your family members? When's the last time you prayed for somebody in this church that's not your family member? Now, don't raise your hands. I'm not doing that. But be clear. Get sober about it. Prayer is important. It moves the hand of the omnipotent God. Doesn't it? Doesn't he say you have not because you ask not? Well, that's not very sober-minded, is it? I'm just not even going to ask. Well, good night. Well, don't expect to get anything then. That's just too convicting. And then I want to remind you of something. I just, this just kind of hit me as I was studying this. Um, about uh, two weeks ago, or three weeks, three weeks ago, I think it was, Matt spoke on... Um, verse 7 of chapter 3. The husband part, remember that? We had the panel up here and did that. And what did he say about husbands and their prayer lives with how they treat their wives? Do you remember that? Judah told him earlier in the first service. He says, uh, be careful about being insensitive to your wife's needs, about her being the weaker vessel. Be careful how you treat her. Treat her with respect, loving her as you love yourself. Be careful with that, because if you're not, if you mistreat her, what happens to your prayers? They're hindered. Huh. You might want to be a little bit more sober-minded when you deal with your wife. You might want to be a little more self-controlled as you talk to her. Not you're irritating me. Don't tell her that. <laughs> Not unless you want to sleep on the couch. I got experience. Treat her properly. But it takes, it takes a clear mind and self-control to treat your wife the right way so that your prayers will have purpose to them and not be hindered. That's just a, just a reflection back, but it's true in everyone's life. 
be sober, be of sound judgment, and be sober in your spirit for the purpose of prayer so that you're praying for the right things. Don't be praying about that enemy on your job asking God to kill him. That's not the right way of doing it. That's the wrong purpose in prayer. So that's one. There's about three things I saw there, so I want to point them out to you. And then this next verse. And listen, when you pray, when you take the time to spend some time alone with God, do you think that glorifies Him? Oh, yeah, absolutely it does. It's what He wants of you. He wants you to come and talk to Him. He already knows what you need. We know that. But I can't find anywhere where, you, you, where He says for you to pray. He sa- what does He say there? Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. He's got the deliverance available. He's just waiting for you to make the call. He wants you to talk to him. He, I think that's why he did it. He knew that, you know what, when everything's going really good, you don't talk to him, do you? Not like you do when things are bad. It's amazing how we change our relation, relational uh, way of looking at God when we're in trouble. When you get a doctor's report that says, you know what, there's a 25% chance we're going to do a little autopsy, a little, not autopsy, you'd be dead if you did that. <laughs> we're going to do a biopsy on you. We're going to do a biopsy this week on you. And there's a, stop laughing and listen for half a second. <laughs> Most of you wouldn't have caught it if I hadn't said nothing. All right, so we're going to do a biopsy on you this week. And there's a 25% we're going to find out you've got cancer. You like those odds? Odds are still in your favor. But man, there's a 25% chance you're going to have cancer when we look at it. What do you think your relationship approaching that's going to be like with God? You're going to be praying, ain't you? You're, you're going you're to make sure he understands who you are and where your voice is and where your address is at, right? And what time that, bi- that biopsy is taking place. So... That's important. Prayer is a huge part of it, and you bring glory to God by doing it. You you know what we're doing, people? All we're doing in the triumphs, and all we're doing in this serving the Lord here and glorifying Him is we're just being obedient. Just obedience. If you would just be obedient, your life would be so much better. So much better. Quit trying to tell God what you're going to do. Start asking Him what His plan is for you. Verse 9, excuse me, verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Oh man, here's another thing that brings God glory. When, you're, when we love each other, you bring in God glory. When you have a fervent love, what does fervent mean? What does that word mean? I just think it means you take it serious. You're being real. I love you, brother. That's fervent love. Yeah, I love you. Whatever. Go away. Leave me alone. I don't want you to. I don't even want to answer my door when I see you coming. I see you in the store. I go down the other aisle. That's fervent love, isn't it? No, that's not fervent love. Maybe I needed you to talk to me in that aisle. You don't want to talk to me because you just put ice cream in the freezer from the freezer, and you know it's going to melt if you get caught up talking to me. So you go the other way. But I'm telling you, fervent love says, "I love you." And I was telling them earlier in the early service. 
Let me tell you something. As a church member here at Valley Bible, if you will show fervent love to the believers here in this church, not just in here, not just in here, but when you do see them at the store, when you see them at the ball game, when you, if you start showing them that you love them, it is one of the best witnessing tools there is. If I see you at the store and I ignore you and people know that we go to church together, what are they thinking about me? But if I see uh, uh, Catherine at the, at, the, at the store and I walk up and give her a hug, how are you doing, sis? It's great to see you. We start talking to them and we act like we really do love each other. They're going to be like, what the heck is wrong with those people? They, they, you know what? They say they believe in Jesus and they love each other, and now I see that they love each other. You know what people want in this world? They want to be loved. They can tell you, oh, I don't care if I'm loved or not. That's just a defense mechanism because nobody's loving on them. So they're not going to let you know that it affects them when you're not loving. But you're supposed to love one another with a fervent love, and that kind of love does what? Even if they wrong you, what happens? The kind of love we're talking about says that even though I've been done wrong, I forgive you because the love that Christ has poured out in me covers a multitude of things that you do wrong. Amen? Uh, just a few things in this passage to cover. Verse 9. This is another part of loving one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. You ever have your wife or, or your husband come to you and say, hey, I just invited these people over for lunch. We're going to practice some hospitality. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe you did that. All right, I'll go home and cook something. Men, don't do that to your wife. Please arrange it ahead of time. My dad used to do that to my mom, and she would flip her lid. And so just, you know, that there was some, she, he caused her to have sin in her life just about because of, not telling her ahead of time. So if you were ever invited over kind of unannounced ahead of time to my mom and dad, you might know my mom wasn't happy about the whole thing. But uh, just so you kind of know that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so hospitality without complaint. You're supposed to practice hospitality. We're supposed to have each other in each other's homes. We're supposed to take each other to dinner. Now then, I don't see in here where it says that I'm waiting for you to be hospitable. Like, I'm not going to practice hospitality until I see you do it. So when you invite me over, then I'll invite you over. No, I don't see that. Do you? I don't even see the love part where it says, I got to, you got to, I got to be loved. I don't see that. I see, I have to practice love. I see, I have to practice hospitality. Not just me, you too. So hospitality without complaint. Right attitude. Had the right attitude about it. Verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift. Do you realize that when you got saved, you were given a spiritual gift that's unique for you? Okay? Um, I, I'm going to use him again. I'll use him in first service. I'll use him again. How many of you know Edwin Chandra? Let our prayer time, okay? If you talk to Edwin more than five minutes and he doesn't think you're saved, he's going to try and get you saved. And he knows he can't do it, but he's going to tell you about Christ. 
it's all he it's just what he does it, it just seeps out of him he can't help it thank god he can't help it more of him we need more of his type and so and i'm one of the pastors and i got to work harder at it than him no doubt now just because he's gifted at it does that mean i'm not gifted like he is when it comes to doing evangelism so do i get out of evangelism oh no 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 we're all supposed to be doing that but he has been given a special gift in it he has he he, he will tell you he can't even help himself where did that gift come from it comes from god and look what he says employ this special gift in serving yourself in serving just your family or your close friends just says one another that's we're all the one another's the people that are in the body of Christ are the one another's that you're supposed to be serving with that gift now what Edwin's doing is he's serving this local body by going out on mercy teams and Rajesh, where's Rajesh? is Rajesh here this morning Rajesh I think he goes with you every week doesn't he pretty much here's a man with a young baby at home and he's out there every week him and Edwin and so um and witnessing to people and they've been getting God's been giving them fruit there have been people getting and, and and I think Kevin Collins is doing the same thing him and Michelle are going out and and the Lord's giving them fruit you know what God wants to save people if God's done saving people we wouldn't be here you guys do know that right once the body of Christ is completed he's supposed to come back and get it yeah so remember that next time you witness to somebody you think hey this guy could be the one he might complete the body we might be out of here I'm ready. So, and listen. So, employing and serving one another as good stewards. You're supposed to be a good steward over that gift that he's given you. Being a good steward means you're taking care of it. You're doing the job. You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're stewarding it. Okay. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's through the grace of God that you've been given this gift. Okay. So, a couple weeks ago, we did summer night camp, and over 200 people showed up to help. 200 volunteers wanting to serve one another. taking And some of them weren't even doing their special gift that was given to them. Ah, but they knew that they needed to serve. Okay. Verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. So this would be anyone basically who has a speaking gift. You're supposed to, I, I want to get up here and uh, I was just talking to somebody. Um, the name, I lose the name, but he's going to Ethiopia on a mission trip. And he said that what's happened in Ethiopia is they have Bibles there. They've had Bibles there since 350. They've had Bibles there for a long time. But what they've done is they've pulled in all these other books. And they put the Bible on the bottom of those books. And they read from these other books. Philosophies of men. And some of them are even about the Bible, but it's not the Bible. So what they're doing is they're doing utterances that aren't of God. When you I did this first service. This right here looks like just a book. 
And it is just a book when you look at it. But it's a whole lot more than that. You want to know him? You really want to know God? I, if I went around to each individual here and had five minutes with you and said, man, would you want to know God better? Every one of you would probably say, yes, I absolutely want to know God better. But you watch 23 hours of TV every week and you don't read this book. If you want to know him, read the book where he's talking to you. He talks in this book to you. He tells you who he is. And let me tell you something. You want to change and be more like him? You got to get to know him. You can't imitate what you don't know. You can't. You can't be, you can't even impersonate if you don't know him. You got to hear his voice. You got to want to be like him. And you want to be like him, you'll crack the book. Get it in you. It's sitting on the shelf, does nobody need. Are you a dashboard Christian? What's a dashboard Christian? A dashboard Christian means I just throw this on my dash so it'll be there on Sunday when I go to church. I drive around all week with my Bible sitting on my dashboard. Okay? So don't be a dashboard Christian. Take it in with you at night and read it. And get to know who he is. Get to know him. So, speakers are to utter the Word of God. Use the book. Not some other book. Now, we'll use books at times, but guess what? The books that we use to prepare sermons, they put us back in the book. But you don't see me coming out here and reading J. Vernon McGee's notes. No, he's a man that preached the Word of God, so I love to hear him preach, but i got to get in the book. you got to get in the book. So speakers, utterance of the God. We're supposed to do that. Speak there. Serve in God's strength. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Stop trying to do ministry in your own strength. Get into reliance on God to strengthen you to do ministry. It's there that ministry will take off for you. We had a couple that used to do... Uh, worship ministry with us they got a burden to go on the mission field over in hawaii so they moved over there but they they would come they were a couple they would get up really early in the morning and go to work and on wednesday nights they were in worship ministry and we wanted people to be there at 6 30 to pray with us and to study the word a little bit before we sing and so he told me one time in an interview he says man larry he says sometimes it's such a struggle for us to come we're both beat by the time we get home we get home around five we're slamming down some food. They lived over in Concord. We're trying to get here by 6.30. So hard. He goes, I can't tell you how hard that is for us to get there sometimes. But, he goes, but we make the effort because we made a commitment to be there. So we get there. I'm going to tell you something. God is a rewarder of obedience. He just is. That's right. He rewards those who diligently seek him. So he said, because we made the commitment, because we wanted to be here, we want to be there for prayer time. We want to be there for the Word. He says, we come. He goes, I can't explain it. We're going home at 9.30. We get home. We can't go to sleep. We were exhausted. We could barely make it. We come, and something happens. The strength of the Lord is what they were depending on, and God just kind of gave them a little bit of an overflow. Now they can't sleep at night. 
So they went from, I'm so exhausted, I can't, I just don't think I can put one foot in front of the other. But you know what? We're going to be obedient to what we said we would do. We're going to serve where we said we would serve. We're going to show up, and God would give him the strength to get through. He said, I said, would you be worn out the next morning? He goes, no. He said, we would get up early. We'd be ready to go. Amen. It's what he said. Serve in his strength. He's got all the power that you need. All the power. You believe that? He's got all the power that you need. Some of you believe it. He's got the supply. Now listen. All of those verses, from 7 right to there, middle of 11. So that in all things... God may be glorified through his son, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This morning, I can only tell you, if you're suffering, and especially if you're suffering for the Lord, there's triumph in suffering for the Lord. There's triumph in it. Hold on to the triumph. Don't get caught up in that. Depend on the Lord. Get in his strength. I'm going to stop. You might be surprised if there's a bunch more I could say. Most of you aren't surprised. I see contrasts all over the place in the two sections of Scripture. I see where you have to give up one set of friends, but I see where you get a whole new set of friends. Do you see that? I see that I'm supposed to have fervent love, and I'm supposed to be receiving fervent love. I never got that on the unsaved world. Matter of fact, all they did was malign me when I said, I don't want to do all that partying and stuff anymore. I can't do it anymore. I never did it, thank God. I, there was a fork in the road in my life where I got to be in high school and I got invited to more parties than I could shake a stick to and I wouldn't go. And it was a fork in the road for me. Here's God's way and here's the world's way. See, I don't put the fork sideways because they're not parallel in any way, shape, or form. One is taking God's way and one's taking a lower direction. And uh, I've never been, there's never been a time I didn't have friends. One of the big things here at Valley Bible Church for me, the reason I stayed here, when I was 14, I came here. And my mom and dad, some of you know my parents, they're, no, they're with the Lord now. But during that period of time, they weren't serving the Lord. They weren't even going to church. They'd rather go do other things on the weekend. And my other brothers were out and they were living like the pagans here. And uh, I just kept coming to Valley. And I had family here, and that was true. But one of the things that I really saw as a young boy even was that people cared for me, and they loved me. And it kept me coming back here. So that fervent love is huge, and it's a triumph. And it's something new for you if you just became a believer because you've never known love like this. When, you know, when we uh, let you greet each other, we have to close it down. 
You would just keep talking to each other and loving on each other, hugging and doing all that. You'd do that for 45 minutes if we let you. We got to, I mean, uh, TJ has to lock up. Half the time he's got to throw me out of the building because I'm still talking to people and loving and hugging and shaking hands because I just want to be with you guys. I hope you want to be with us because that's how we're supposed to react. So just a question here. What's keeping you from triumphing? Is it sin? Is there sin in your life that you don't realize the triumphs that you have available to you? Are you serving him? A couple questions, I guess. Are you serving? Are you loving someone? Are you going out of your way to shake the hand of that person that you see no one else has shaken their hand? Are you glorifying God? Because when you do these things, when you love each other fervently, when you show hospitality, when you serve with the gift that he's given you, when you do that, it all points back to his son, actually. Because you're glorifying him through the action of his son. I won't do a whole lot more on that. I'll just let you think on that. But I would think after a message like this that our kiosk for enlistment would have a line at the back of it. Because you'd say, you know what? He's right. 850 people call themselves members here at Valley. And I think maybe half of them actually serve on a regular basis. I don't say that to beat you up. That's just the way it is. That's the facts. And I just want to know how much are we cheating God of the glory that he deserved by not doing what he said we should do? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the truth of Scripture. Thank you that you allow us, us, those who were lost without you, those who were dead in our sins and trespasses, and now not only did you provide Christ for us and put us in him, but now you let us, through our actions here on earth, bring you glory. What an incredible thing that is. How we thank you for that. May you uh, be glorified this week through the body of Valley Bible Church. May we do things outside this building, loving on each other and serving and being hospitable and sharing Christ with others that would glorify you, Lord. May we find ourselves praying with sound judgment and sober-mindedness, praying for the future generations, praying for the government of this country that we live in, praying for our loved ones, praying for the unsaved neighbor next door. Let us find ourselves doing these things this week. We thank you for your truth that you had men write down that we might know who you are, that we might be able to open the book and have you speak to our hearts. Bless your word as it went out this morning, Lord. I, I cannot do anything to make your word penetrate except speak it and then let you fulfill its purpose. So that's what we're asking you. Fulfill the purpose of your word as it went out this morning in the lives of your people. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.